2 John. Now, if the Lord give me breath, I will tell you that I will be a little longer than I was last night. Okay? That's the shortest you will ever hear me speak probably in my lifetime or in your lifetime. So, 2 John chapter, uh, or 2 John verses 4 through 6, let's read together. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. While many today believe, as I've mentioned through this study thus far, and this is our, our, our third study in the, uh, the second epistle of John, but many believe today that one must compromise love for truth or truth for love, John clearly refutes this idea or this thought within this letter, within this epistle. True love is experienced and expressed in truth, and truth is likewise to be demonstrated and expressed through love, as Scripture commands. And this short epistle, as I have said to you already, has five divisions within it. And I mentioned last week uh, these five sections, or five divisions within these 13 verses. Verses 1 through 3 make up the first part, and we looked at that on last week. Verses 4 through 6, which we are looking at this evening, make up the second division. Verses 7 through 11 make up the third division. Verse 12 makes up the fourth, and verse 13 makes up the fifth. So we have begun our study in in overview, then verses 1 through 3, and now verses 4 through 6 this evening. And as John teaches us in this epistle, which I've told you is somewhat of a summarization of his first epistle, though it's written to a different audience, a specific audience, whether this is an individual lady who he literally, literally personally knew, or whether he's referencing a specific church, we are not certain. It's not, we don't know... People lean both ways concerning them, and it's, we're just not certain, and we probably never will be. But yet, either way, we understand the first epistle was a general epistle as it's referenced, meaning that it was given to the general audience of the church as a whole. It wasn't given to a specific, um, a specific body of believers per se, but yet it's written to the church as a whole, whoever they may be. And then you find he mentions lady specifically, and this lady's children in this epistle. And then in the third epistle, he mentions Gaius by name. So he's writing concerning a specific brother in this case. And so you kind of find a general audience, a, a lady who's unnamed and her children, or a church body unnamed and, and the, the whole of that body. And then also you find the third being a specific individual, the man Gaius. Within the introduction of this epistle last week, we examine John's emphasis of this epistle concerning the united relationship of love and truth. And I said to you last week as well that love and truth are to be equally expressed, equally demonstrated, and equally received. And to prefer one above the other or to reject one over the other is to misunderstand both. While there are many today, of course, who would, who would emphasize love and yet reject truth or not receive or, or emphasize truth, there also are others, of course, uh, who will actually emphasize uh, truth, and, and it can be very harsh without love. And so, in reality, we see that John addresses both of these matters within this, this text, that it's not that we are to 
uh, reject truth while embracing love, neither are we to embrace truth, love while rejecting truth, but that, and that these two are not uh, in opposition to one another. And that's really somewhat what's been made to be the case today in many, in many situations or in many uh, circumstances, people would view it, it seems, as though you either have love or you have truth, or you have truth or you have love, but you can't have both. And that's absolutely incorrect. That is not biblically true at all. Truth and love go hand in hand. These are friends. These are, the, these are inseparably linked according to the Scriptures here, not in this context, that is. They are not apart from one another. They are to be recognized together. There's truth and love. We love in truth, and we love because of truth. And, and the truth of uh, is that which joins us together, and it's also demonstrated and expressed through this love that we have for one another. So John is dealing with these matters within this uh, second epistle, again, reminding us much of what he has said and taught within the first epistle. We also considered how John's greeting in verse 3 extended from his declaration in verse 2 on last week. Verse 2 says, For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever, grace be with you, Verse 3, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. Notice again, in truth and love. Not, not separated here, but together. They are joined together. John declares that the truth is presently residing in us, yet John also declared that the truth shall be with us forever in this passage. And it's upon the basis of this truth, as John stated in verse 2, that the greeting within verse 3 is founded. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. We saw last week again, grace is God giving me what I do not deserve. Grace is the unmerited favor, the unearned goodness and kindness of God. And then mercy is God not giving me what I do deserve. Mercy is not... Grace is God has given me what I don't deserve. Mercy is God has not given me what I do deserve. But yet in this text, he says, grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father. And so notice with me that when we receive the grace and the mercy of God, when we are given the mercy of God, God is not giving us what we deserve. And therefore we accept or receive as well the grace of God in Jesus Christ, that he who we do not deserve, then it results in this eternal peace with God. We have peace with God because of the grace and mercy of God. And that's the only way that we have peace with God. John continues to expound now upon the importance of truth and love within the second division or second section of this epistle in verses 4 through 6. We read them again. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. So let's begin with verse 4. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we received a commandment from the Father. John's opening statement within the second division, verse 4 of this epistle, is one which he also declares in similar manner in his third epistle. Let's compare 2 John verse 4 and 3 John verse 4 together. I rejoice greatly, verse 4 of 2 John, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. Then 3 John, verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So in, in verse 4 of both epistles, 2 and 3 John, we see a very similar statement is made. Now, there are both similarities, obviously, and also there are obvious differences between these two verses within these two epistles. That is verse 4 of 2 John and verse 4 of 3 John. So let's first observe 
or consider the obvious similarities. The joy expressed by John. Look at 2 John verse 4 again. I rejoiced greatly. And then 3 John verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy. Now, the context of 2 John is that of John's recognition that there were children of this lady or possibly this church body who continued in the truth even though there were also deceivers who had made the attempt to persuade these individuals to turn from the truth to heresies. And 2 John verse 7, understand, let's look further. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So here we see again, in this context, John is saying that I am rejoicing greatly that there are those of your children who continue in truth, despite the fact that there are many deceivers attempting to persuade them from truth and turn them from truth. The context of the statement in 3 John is that the joy of Gaius and others walking in truth superseded the discouragement resulting from those who did not embrace and live in the truth. So again, let's compare these. When 2 John, he is saying, okay, I have great joy that there are some of your children who are walking in truth even though there are many who are attempting to distract them, to turn them from the truth, and yet they are faithful in the truth. But 3 John is a different context. 3 John, again, is that there is joy because Gaius and others who are, continue to walk in truth, and this joy of their faithfulness in the truth supersedes the discouragement, which is present because there are those who did not embrace and live in the truth. And we see this in 3 John verses 9 and 10. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if, come, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. So here you have Gaius, who is walking in truth and following after truth in love, and then you have Diotrephes, who is rejecting the brethren, not following truth because he's not demonstrating love to the brethren and rejecting them because he wants to have the preeminence within the church. So he wants to be the man who is looked at. He wants to be the man who's looked to. And he would not even, he he even forbade, if you will, John here because he wants to hold the preeminence. And yet in 2 John, or in 3 John, I'm sorry, and verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear of my, that my children know that my children walk in truth. And this is in contrast to the discouragement that would have been present with Diotrephes, who is here not allowing there to be fellowship among the brethren and who wants the preeminence. And here's what John is saying. This is so important. Again, let's look at the second epistle in verse 4 when he says, I rejoiced greatly. To hear that there were those of your children who walk in truth, despite the fact that there are many who are trying to turn them from truth. That's the emphasis. But then third John, the emphasis is, I have no greater joy. And this joy of your faithfulness and following after Christ and walking in the truth supersedes even the discouragement that's present among those who refuse to do so. Now let's look at the reason for joy. Second John, 
I found of thy children walking in truth. The fact that John stated, I found of thy children, and I keep referencing this, and I don't know if you've really caught on to it yet or not, but he makes a statement, I found of thy children walking in truth. So this would indicate or imply that there were some who were walking in truth, while there were also some who were not. And once again, John expressed that his joy over those who did walk in truth was not diminished by those who did not. This is not to say that John did not have a desire for all of those to whom he wrote that they would walk in the truth, but rather it is to say that John did not allow the unfaithfulness of some to detract from his joy and thankfulness for those who were faithful. So he says, the reason for his joy, I found of thy children walking in truth. And, and again, this again, would, would indicate or imply that it's not all of them, but of the children that were present, of those he's referencing, of the faith, or literally the children of this lady, whatever they may be. He's saying that he found of them, of the, of the group, the, uh, the ones he's speaking of concerning, that there were those who did, uh, that did walk in truth. And this brought him, of course, great joy. And then third John, to hear my children walk in truth, he says. And the statement by John in 3 John is obviously very personal to John, in contrast even to that which he states in, in 2 John. Um, so this joy is present. He says, I, 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 I'm thankful because there are those of your children walking in truth. But then again in 3 John, verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. And so this is, becomes very personal, and we see this by John's use of the first personal pronoun, my my children, referring to the children walking in truth. And although the context of the statement can generally refer to any or all those to whom John had, had evangelized and discipled, hence John says he had no greater joy than to hear that his children, plural in number, not a child, not just Gaius, but I have no greater joy than to hear that when my children, plural number, walked in truth. However, the context specifically is in reference to Gaius and the recipient of the epistle which John was writing. Let's look again at 3 John verses 1 through 4. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Here, here's the context. John is saying to Gaius, I'm an elder to the well-beloved Gaius. He, you, the, I've heard the testimony of you, the truth that is in you, and that you're walking in that truth that is in you. And he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So these are the similarities between these two epistles, and they are very similar here. But then there are some obvious differences. First of all, the children within each epistle. In 2 John verse 4, he says, thy children walk in truth. So John's use of the second personal pronoun, thy or your in this case, is in reference to a specific lady and her children or to a specific church body and those within the body who follow the truth. But then in 3 John, he says, my children walk in truth, as I mentioned a while ago. So John's use of the first personal pronoun, my, as I mentioned, is obviously a personal connection which John had with Gaius because he's now saying, oh, I have great joy that to hear that your children are walking in truth. Thy children, not my children, thy children. But then he comes to Gaius, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So this is very personal to him. And this is, the, is a distinction between 2 and 3 John, verse 4. Then, so there's another distinction or difference, and that is the added comment in 2 John, not found in 3 John. 2 John, I rejoice greatly and have found 
that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. Then third John, I have no greater joy than to hear that, that, that my children walk in truth. While the added statement in the second epistle is not found in the third, it is implied nonetheless. In other words, while John emphasized that God commanded for all believers to walk in truth in the second epistle, this truth is understood all the same within the third epistle. So when he says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth, the truth he is speaking of is that that had been handed down to them, the, the, the truth of Christ, the truth of God. And so it's implied nonetheless. So let's move on to verse 5 now. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. The command and John's reminder of this command in this verse is very similar to that which John had declared within his first epistle. As I mentioned in the overview of our study of this epistle, in many ways this epistle is a concise summarization of the truths John explained in great detail in his first epistle. In 1 John 2.7, listen to what John wrote. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye had had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye had heard from the beginning. Now let's look again at 2 John verse 5. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we loved one another. So it's very similar again. He's rehearsing what he's already explained in his first epistle. The adjective new implies fresh. So John is declaring that this is not a commandment with which the reader was not familiar. This is not something which you don't already know. This is not something fresh to you. This is not something new to you. The command for a man to love his neighbor as he loved himself was something that the people had been commanded by God since the time of Moses. Leviticus 19.18 Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. John is not writing something new, but he's simply reminding us of something that has always been. Truth, John is testifying, it, it, these truths are, are, the same, are the same thing which he had said, said or which had been since the beginning as he states. Let's look at verse 6. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that, as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Now this is interesting. So John is stating, I'm not writing anything new to you. I have no greater joy. I have great joy to hear that of thy children there are those who are walking in truth. And this brings me great joy as commanded by God. And then he goes on to say in verse 5, And I beseech you, I'm writing this, he says, not as though I wrote, I'm writing something new to you. This isn't something you don't already know, but it's what we've had from the beginning. And then he says in verse 6, this is love. So what is the commandment? Well, we know the commandment, as he says in 1 John 2, 7, as he says in 3 John, we know the commandment is that they were to love one another, right? That, that's the commandment that he's referencing here. And then he says, and this is love. So now he's defining what this love is. So it's one thing to say, oh, I love you, and I, I, you know, you're so precious to me, dear to me, or, and make such statements and things, but that's not what John's talking about here. He's showing us what this love is. And he says, this is love, that we walk after his commandments. Now, let's stop for a second. So, wait a minute. He's saying that love equates to us walking in truth. Now, how is that demonstrating love for another? Well, let's put it all together here. Who commands us to love one another? God does. So, if I'm really going to love, I have to be obedient, submissive to his commandments and follow in truth. But I don't get to pick and choose which commandments or what truth I want to live in. 
It's all his truth. And this is love. Now notice, the love is that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as you've heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. What is the commandment we've heard from the beginning? That you love one another. We are to walk in this truth, but love is demonstrated and realized as we are walking in his commandments. Now there's a reason John, I believe, lists it like this. This love in which we are to love others is rooted in our love for God because of his love for us. It is for this reason, John declared, and this is love that we walk after his commandments. John had already addressed this matter as well within his first epistle in 1 John 2, 5. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Wait a minute. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. So God's love in us is being realized and demonstrated and perfected as we are keeping his commandments, as we cherish that which he cherishes. And does he not cherish his people? Of course he does. Does he not love his people? Of course he does. But does he also not love his truth? Of course he does. And so here again we see how that love and truth in this context are inseparable. They are inseparable. This is love, that we walk in truth. What truth? That we love one another. But what kind of love is this? Well, the love up for God is within us because of the love of God that's been given to us. And now that love of God is being demonstrated and manifested through our lives towards those specifically whom He loves. And so, this is love that we keep His commandments. This is not just some random statement John makes. This has great significance because we begin to see, wait a minute, so the love that's being commanded is a love that originates with God towards us that now reciprocates to Him and is reflected unto others. This is the love John writes of. This is love that we walk after his commandments. Spence Jones commented, Just as in the sphere of thought, truth must be combined with love, so in the sphere of emotion, love must be combined with obedience. Warm feelings, whether towards God or towards man, are worse than valueless if they are not united on the one hand with obedience, on the other with truth. Again, we're seeing this this inseparable connection between love and truth. While people want to divide them, people today, oh, we just want to love, just want to love. Without truth, you can't love. This is love, that you walk after His commandments. In other words, if you're not pursuing after His commandments, love is absent. Do you see that? And so we have to recognize that without truth, there is no love. But then we are to live the truth out in love. By the way, let's just consider God of the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in all of this. Is God a God of truth? All truth comes from Him. He's the source of truth, is He not? But has He not communicated that truth through us in great love? 
Is he not the source of love? But does God compromise his truth so that man can know his love? No. If he did so, he would be violating his own truth, which is sin. So he does not compromise his truth to show man love. But he demonstrates his love in truth. And he declares his truth in love to us. And where, who is the personification of both God's truth and his love? The Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us in that he gave his son. So Christ is both the personification of the very love of God and the truth of God. Of the truth of God and the love of God. And you cannot love someone apart from truth, not in genuine love. And you cannot be truthful without love as well being present. Because that is a tainted, perverted form of truth. Because God's truth has been demonstrated and declared and manifested in great love. But God's great love stands uncompromisingly upon His truth. And so again, these are not enemies one of the other, but are in agreement. So we see the importance of this message of the unity of truth and love as described by John within this epistle. We as John should value truth above all else. And we should recognize that absent of truth, there is no true love. For our love for one another as commanded by God is a love that overflows from God to and through us to others. This is love. This is love. If you really love someone, you know what you'll do? You'll speak the truth to them. I just reminded someone or shared this with someone just the other day, and I've said this many times to you, and and it sounds funny at first. People really, I think, at first have to kind of tilt their head and look at you a little funny when you say make statements like this. But someone commented to me just just yesterday about um, the evidence of the love that I have for my family as I was sharing with them some things. And... I said, I do. I said, I love my family dearly. And we have, uh, uh, I'm very thankful for them and the relationships that we do have. I'm very grateful for them. And I said, but I said, I do love something more than my family. And I said to them, I love truth more than I even love my family. And, and again, people, they look at you like, okay. I said, let me explain. And I think this just sums it up for you and helps you understand If I love my family more than I love truth, or if I love anything or anyone more than I love truth, I will compromise truth for that which I love more than truth. But if I love truth above all else, that means I will love my family in truth, teach my family in truth, correct my family in truth, lead my family in truth, but I will not compromise truth for my family if I love truth more than anything else. So it's not one is, I'm to love my family, but I'm to love them in truth. And if I really love them, what will I do? I will teach them truth. I will instruct them in truth. I will guide them and lead them in truth as a husband, as a father. But that doesn't mean 
that you beat them over the head with truth absent of love. But you love them in truth. Aren't you thankful that as much so as God is a God of truth that He also is a God of love? But aren't you also thankful that He's not simply a God of love, but He's a God of love and a God of truth? And a love that is founded upon truth. In other words, as Romans Paul says, that Christ was sent as a, a propitiation, and it was all for this reason that the justifier or that the uh, justifier might remain just. You understand what he's saying there? He's saying that God, God is a God of truth. Therefore, though He has great love, He is a God of truth, and because He's a God of truth and holiness and righteous, He will not ignore, overlook sin in order to demonstrate love. But he has dealt with sin in the person of his son that he might demonstrate his love and make his love known. This is love. And it's rooted and grounded in truth. And you cannot separate the two within this context of what is being stated. 